you're listening to How's the Climate, a new podcast focused on bringing climate awareness and education to Richmond Hill residents. Each week, we feature a different guest connecting you to climate organizations in the community. I'm Emiko, and today I will be speaking with Ms. Kathleen Wong, co-chair of Blue Dot Richmond Hill, retired teacher, lover of nature, and environmental champion. Hello, Kathleen. So I'd love it if we could begin by talking a little bit about you and your history in climate action. Okay, so my name is Kathleen Wong. I was, uh, I was born in England. I came here as a baby and my parents lived on a farm near Lindsay and I loved it there. And I think that's what started my love of nature. I, we had a hundred acres. I could go out and wander and climb trees and sit by a pond and I spent as much time as I could outside. And that's one thing that has stayed with me always. And, and Blue Dot has an expression, protect the people and places you love. And I think that's why I'm interested so much in the environment um, because I love being out there so much and it's so important to me. I think um, there were a lot of things that happened along the way that made me more aware of the environment. I got interested in bird watching when I was in university. And one of the birds that I really loved was a little bird called a shrike. I have to look this guy up because it is a bird of prey, but it's a little tiny songbird. So it has this big head and for grasping things, but it doesn't have the talons that a hawk has. So it has to stick its prey on a thorn or uh, something like that so that it can eat it because it can't grasp it. And so when I was in university and for a few years after, I would see shrikes. They are low in bushes and, and they fly over the fields and catch things. Um, but then I stopped seeing them. And now they are extremely threatened. There's, they don't have the grasslands. They don't have the habitat anymore. There is one area, Cardin Plains near Lindsay, where they still have some. And I know the zoo's doing a, a program to breed them and recover them. So it's just, I've seen these major changes in my lifespan. Um, and I've always been a gardener. I always grow vegetable gardens. I just love being out there. I forget everything. I'm just in my garden. And I noticed a number of years ago, my, I had to pollinate my squash by hand because there weren't enough pollinators. I couldn't count on them doing it. They have to have so many visits to pollinate things. So, you know, I could found out you get a little paintbrush and you can spread the pollen, but that's something I never would have had to do a number of years ago. So I can see those changes. Um, and it's, uh, it's really unfortunate to see. That's really upsetting. And it's so powerful that you've seen all this um, change come about firsthand. I think there's many of us who maybe haven't noticed those drastic changes outside of learning about them in a textbook or hearing about them from places that are across the world. Uh, so hearing from experiences like yours is really powerful and motivating uh, to hear that passion for the environment because of something that you've really witnessed during your lifetime. As far as passing on that passion and motivation to the next generation, uh, you are a retired teacher. So how did you bring climate action into the classroom? I taught in a grade five, six uh, special ed class combined. So it was a team teaching situation. And I taught in a very active community. And at that 
time, we focused a lot on trying to reduce waste. So uh, the students in my class, we would all try to bring litterless lunches and we'd plan them together and talk about how we were going to package our food. And a lot of the kids went out for lunch on Friday. And so we were talking about not taking plastic straws. You don't need those straws. They would come back from lunch so excited. We just refused the plastic straws. Like, you know, it was a victory and it, and it, uh, and it was a shared joy, really. Um, but the parents were very active in the school. A parent built a um, composter for the school and my kids would volunteer after lunch to collect the compost and put it in the composter. So they were very active in that way. We had a vermi composter in our class. So that was fun for the kids. They'd have put all chop up these scraps for the worms and they could open it up and see the red wigglers in there. So that was just a great activity. Um, I raised monarchs at the time. And um, one of the most awesome experience, I can remember going outside and we've got a large class as 40 kids. And we released this monarch and it was like this beautiful blue autumn sky and the monarch just flew straight up. Every single kid watched that happen. Everyone's full attention was on it. And I know my assistant looked at me and said, this is the highlight of our year. And I was like, okay, it's only September. But you know what I mean? He was right. The monarch theme kept going all year. At the end of the year, the kids gave me a, a stepping stone for my garden with monarchs on it. And it was just, uh, it was so delightful. And I don't raise monarchs anymore, but I do, um, I do uh, plant milkweed for them, you know, and, and that is alarming too, because I recently got a report from this year in Mexico and there was a big drop in the monarchs again. Part of it is has to do with climate change. Um, as the temperatures uh, increase, uh, it's not as good a microclimate for them. And um, drought and wind also affect the trees there. So that's when you realize, I mean, this is, there are no borders when it comes to the environment, right? I mean, sometimes I've talked to naysayers who will say, well, why should we do this? What are other countries doing? It's like, we are all in it together. <laughs> There's no way out of that. So that was just, um, and that is what happens. There are many reasons that the monarchs are decreasing, but knowing that climate change is a factor has made me realize how important it is to be involved in those initiatives. It reminds me of, I had a really impactful teacher also when I was in elementary school who sort of just introduced me to the climate crisis in a way that made me feel so empowered and oh wow passionate so about it sounds like that's sort of the same education that you're bringing to your students I feel so lucky that I had the opportunity to have a teacher like that but I think there's a lot of students who maybe don't get that opportunity to have a teacher who's so impactful when it comes to the climate crisis I'm just curious about your opinion on this it's interesting I do think there's a lot more schools that have environmental clubs now and um, so that's helpful. The other part that strikes me is there are leaders you can find. I, I, I hope it should be in your school, but if not, I, I, there's ones in the community, right? And it works both ways, you know. I think when Terry came to bring her, um, her, her, her presentation for Environmental Bill of Rights in Richmond Hill, she was sponsored by, she was, I mean, excuse me, she was inspired 
by a young boy in Vancouver who went to uh, the city hall there and did that. And she's like, he's how old? 12 or 14, if he can do that, I've got to be able to do that, right? And I certainly, I mean, I'm not alone in this, but I was so moved when I first heard Greta Thunberg speak. And, and you know, here's a young girl and she's so direct and she's so straightforward. And I know David Suzuki, who's like certainly one of our pioneers in climate change. When he met with her, he was so impressed by her. So. Who will inspire you, right? Will it be an elder? And we have a responsibility. I mean, I feel a great responsibility to the young people in the world and what kind of world we're leaving for them. It's, um, yeah, we, we need to, to make it a better place. It's like, you didn't mess it up. <laughs> you know, there's, a, there's, a, there's an awesome responsibility. And I think, um, yeah, I think there are a lot of teachers who are mentors and for those whose teachers aren't, there's community members who are mentors, there's church groups, there's, there's yeah, as I say, join an organization and, and you will find that support that we all need really, um, and the inspiration. Because the battles can be long and they can be frustrating and, and you need that group to keep you going sometimes. That's what I would say. <laughs> So your response is so inspiring because I think I often feel like I don't know enough about this humongous issue to like I have a responsibility to learn but not necessarily a responsibility to teach or to yeah pass that on to others if I don't feel experienced enough but I think that you're right we can learn and sort of give back in both ways regardless of where we feel we are in um, experience in the climate crisis. Yes, I, I definitely, definitely. So you mentioned David Suzuki before, who is closely linked to Blue Dot, uh, which you are the co-chair of in Richmond Hill. And I was wondering if you could please tell us a little bit more about the organization. Yeah, I'm the co-chair of Blue Dot. So in 2014, David Suzuki crossed Canada at Singers and, and uh, artists of different kinds to promote Blue Dot. Blue Dot actually refers to the way the Earth looks from space. Uh, Carl Sagan had a poem called Pale Blue Dot, which is a beautiful poem. And, you know, just looking at that picture of the Earth from space, it's just a small blue dot. Um, so the idea for David Suzuki was that 150 countries have the right to a healthy environment in law, and Canada doesn't have it. And so he was saying Canada needs to have that. It's such a basic right that we have clean air, water, healthy ecosystems, and a say in decisions about the environment that affect our health and well-being. So his plan was we would start at the municipal level and get a declaration in support of a healthy environment. And then we would move up from there. So in um, March of 2015, I had a friend who decided to go to Richmond Hill Council to ask them to declare the right to a healthy environment. And she, so I went to support her and she made a presentation and then Councillor David West made the motion and, um, and it was passed unanimously. So that was a very positive feeling at that time. Well, you know, look what we can do. And um, the, um, so, so that was the beginning, really. I think the next thing we did with Blue Dot 
is in April, we organized a milk pond cleanup. And the liberal promoted it and all kinds of people came out, families with their young children, everybody was picking an amazing amount of garbage, I'm sad to say, but everyone was out. We had politicians out, um, the um, councilor, uh, Karen Silovitz was there, former regional councilor Brenda Hogg was there happily picking up garbage and um, and at the same time we took the opportunity to tell people about that Canada should have the right to a healthy environment and so many people said well don't we? I can't believe we don't. Canada aren't we ahead of the environment? How could we not have this? So they really they were glad to sign and to you know send this petition off to the government saying we need to have this. So that was, um, and later we met at Cover Notes to celebrate after the cleanup and to organize. Um, and although Terry, who started it all, has stayed involved and active, she got involved in different things. So uh, Cheryl Lewandowski became the chair of Dot, and I became the co-chair. And we have lots of volunteers who are willing to donate time and energy, write opinion pieces, meet with politicians, and the summer, obviously not last summer, but maybe next summer, <laughs> we look after the bike ballet for the Mill Pond concert. So we encourage people to leave their cars at home and people come in and leave their bikes with us. And um, so that's one of the things we do in connection with the city. Um, so Blue Dot gradually expanded into York region. So we started to meet with politicians in um, Oak Ridge's Aurora, Markham, York, Simcoe, for various reasons. And um, so the, um, let me see, we discussed with, with community members all along at whatever our initiative was. We had town halls, we had amazing speakers, Yannick Bodwin, who comes from the David Suzuki Foundation, He's an economist and he said, the mo we can't judge the success of a country on gross national product alone. It's not all about making a profit. We have to have a healthy environment. We have to have happy people. These things are ways we should judge our, our country. So um, a very thought provoking, interesting speaker and, and he's fun too. <laughs> so it was really, really nice to have him there. Um, so we also made, uh, presentations. There's a green business group, Green Connections in York Region. I spoke to them, spoke to high schools, spoke to student groups, um, as, uh, um, religious communities, so all kinds of connections in the community. That's what was happening. Um, we got support from community activists, Marge Andre, who does Connect in the Community. Every time I see her in an event, she's like, wait, I have someone I need to connect you with. And she will introduce me to people and you know, that, uh, which is just really great. So I can just see her thinking, wait a minute. Oh yeah, <laughs> this is the person, so kind of neat. Um, so let me think what else there is. Um, so the local counselors started to invite us to community events. They would invite us to have a booth at their event and to be able to meet with lots of people and talk to them. And um, the, uh, we met with um, MP, MPPs to this. Ontario has an environmental bill of rights, but it's very old and it hasn't been updated for a long time. So we met with them asking them to update it. 
And um, in terms of the federal government, we've met with our MPs and we've got hundreds of signatures on a, um, a petition to strengthen the Canadian Environmental Protection Act. And one of the, there was a House of Commons Environmental Committee who reviewed it in 2017. And one of their suggestions was that it should include the right to a healthy environment. There were lots of other suggestions. Um, need to protect vulnerable populations, uh, better protect protection against toxic substances. Um, but then an election came along and then COVID-19 came along. So that's been a little bit on hold, but the Liberal has promised to introduce a bill this spring to reform and modernize the Canadian Environmental Protection Act. So we're keeping an eye on that. Uh, that would be really great. Um, now I found one of the things about being a member of Blue Dot um, is that it, there's a lot of uh, strength in numbers. Uh, so there's a lot of things people do themselves and I encourage them like you can say, okay, I can reduce my a footprint, I'm not going to eat, eat meat maybe, or I'm not going to take those single use bags from the grocery store. But the climate crisis is huge and it needs government action internationally. It's, so I think there has to be a focus on that. So on Blue Dot, I got training, I got support, I got resources and initiatives. Um, constitutional change is difficult. It's a lengthy process. And with the looming climate crisis, we need to focus on the local level. Um, so we've had a lot of support from city staff at Richmond Hill. Recently, we participated in the advisory board for community energy and emissions plan. You make such a good point about strength and numbers. And there's a lot to be said, I think, about the confidence and reassurance you get from being part of a group that also cares about this issue versus trying to fight it alone. So I, I wonder if you could expand on this idea a little bit, um, letting our listeners know what specific actions they can take um, to make a dent in their negative climate impact. I think the whole idea about joining with others, it gives a strong message to politicians. So we need such big changes and they're there to represent us. Um, and I think like a lot of people, when I first met with politicians, I felt a little nervous, like who am I to be meeting with them? But then it's like, wait a minute, they're representing me and this is really important. And, and so you just go and you establish a relationship and it gets easier every time. So that's one thing I think is really important. Um, so, and I think, the, the latest IPCC report said 50 to 70% of climate change, um, climate solutions happen at the local level. And there's some amazing things when you think about it. When you think of when Trump was president of the United States, he pulled out of the Paris Agreement. He did nothing for the climate. It was all negative. But during that time, California passed a rule that, a rule that there would be no single use plastic bags in grocery stores. So the whole state was able to do that under a very unsupportive government. So it just makes you realize that, yeah, things can happen even when the circumstances are not ideal. Um, and I think 
it helps to have a group because you're not there alone and it can be frustrating and you can fight these battles and the things don't happen that you want to have happen. But the more people are involved, um, the more support you have, the more resources you have and people have different strengths. Someone may say, I love doing this part or someone else prefers, you know, to go to community booths and someone else would rather write about it. So there's just so many options in that way. And you meet really nice people. Absolutely. <laughs> Yeah. And it's so nice, it's so nice to know that if you want to make an impact, there are all these groups that exist and are willing to sort of embrace you and need your help. So yes. for people who are wanting to join Blue Dot Richmond Hill, how would they go about doing that? Okay, one thing is they can look us up at, at Blue Dot RH and we have a Facebook page. So that's a good place to message me or, or check things out. So that would be, I think, the ideal way to do it. Yeah. <laughs> and I would also say, I mean, the group that a wonderful resource, of course, is Neighbors for the Planet for local groups. I mean, they uh, they have so many ideas for collective actions that impact the community. And I know um, we've been working with them more since the pandemic started and getting involved in those things. So yeah, I think definitely involve get involved in a local group and you can still of course do the individual things but um you know i think the the government relations is key that we're gonna speak to the government and let them know if they want to get elected they need to take some serious environmental action <laughs> the more of us tell them that the better yeah so that would be my number one wonderful so our action item then is go onto facebook look up blue.rh um, and join in that group or join Neighbors for the Planet, message Kathleen. Um, these are really great organizations that exist and they're making real impactful and powerful change. So look them up and get involved with the group. Kathleen, thank you so, so much for joining me today. What uh, insightful and powerful discussion. I really appreciate your time. And that concludes today's episode. I'll see you next time here on How's the Climate. This podcast is brought to you by Making Waves, a Canadian youth team based in the GTA focused on bringing climate education to Richmond Hill. We are past participants in Youth Challenge International's Innovate My Future program in partnership with Evergreen Canada and Resilient Richmond Hill. Thanks to Joshua Chang for our music. Our team includes Romina Murtash, Lucy Mao, Matthew Wong, and me, Emiko Wajay-Sindra. If you're interested in supporting us, please give us a follow on Instagram at makingwavesrh or on LinkedIn, makingwavesrh. Thanks so much, and we will catch you next time.